sure some of you here, most of you here, don't like problems. Unless you're like a problem solver, you're an engineer, a mathematician, you probably do like problems then. Most of us, though, don't like problems. When we're confronted with a problem, they take out our time and our energy, and they take away what we want to do with our day and our plan. We have to put all this energy and all this time into resolving the problem in front of us so we can get on with our day. I think, broadly speaking, there are kind of two kinds of problems. The first kind of one is the problems you see. These are the things that you just see in your day, and you can't help but you have to fix the problem that's in front of you. You go, you wake up in the morning, you go downstairs, you go out the door, you go to your car, you go into your car, and you begin to turn the key. And nothing happens. You turn it again, and nothing happens. And you realize you've got a flat battery. And that moment, you kind of slump in the chair and go, oh, I've got a problem, I've got to fix. And then perhaps an hour, an hour and a half later, the NRMA comes and they recharge your battery and you're back on the road again. But it's a frustrating problem, a problem that you, have, you see, it's in front of you and you've got to deal with it. You know, trying to connect to the Wi-Fi, for example, as well. You're trying to get onto the internet and you can't and you think to yourself, what? why is this not working? And it's a problem you have and you've got to work out how to deal with it. You might call Optus or Telstra to try and help you. They're not helping you. So you call your grandchildren, they try to help you and they seem to fix the problem like that. Right? We all have problems that when we see them in front of us, we can't help but fix the problem that's in front of us. We have to deal with it right away. But there are also problems that we can't see, problems that we ourselves aren't aware of, but perhaps other people are aware of around us. You ever go to the break room at lunch and you hear this and this person next to you is eating with their mouth open. And you think to yourself, can't you hear that frustrating sound? Don't you see the problem that's right in front of you? And then it's like, and you just want to tell them, close your mouth when you eat, surely. You know, my wife is under the illusion that I have a problem that I don't think I have. And that is that I snore at night. Now, I was like, Katie, I don't have this problem. You're making this up, surely. I had never snored my whole entire life. I'm a peaceful sleeper. I sleep with clear airways. But sure enough, when I, was, when I got married to Katie, one of the first things she said quickly, early on, was that I snore at night. And I'm like, Katie, I don't snore. Don't tell me I snore. Don't tell me I've got this problem here, please. Sure enough, though, one night I was sound asleep, as I like to think I am. Katie, though, was up awake, and that's probably because I was apparently snoring. And she decided, that's it. I'm going to get the evidence. I'm going to film my husband snoring. The next mor morning, I wake up, and normally I wake up to my beautiful wife greeting me. Good morning, lovely husband. Welcome to this new day. But this morning... I woke up and she was already awake and she's like, I got you. I got you. You snore, you have a problem, you've got to get it fixed. And I was like, yeah, sure enough, she showed me the evidence, she showed me the footage and I had a problem. <laughs> sure enough, I was confronted with the reality, yes, I do snore at night and that all my dreams broke down of having peaceful, quiet sleep at night. There are problems that we see and problems that we don't see in our life. And those things I mentioned, those things are quite shallow things. Those things we can kind of live with, we can get over, we can find solutions pretty quickly. But there are other problems that we are confronted with that are much harder to find a solution to. You might wake up one morning and you feel a slight pain in your chest, or you feel really dizzy and got a headache, 
and then you go to the doctors and you find out you've got a very severe sickness and disease that's going to change your life. And you go to bed that night realizing that life's not going to be the same anymore. You might know a friend or someone in your family and they are dating someone or in a relationship with someone that's causing them harm, perhaps abuse, and you can see the damage of this relationship that has on your friend or your family member, but they can't see it themselves. They're too in love or infatuated with that person for them to see the damage and the problem that it is for them to be in this relationship. And I know you might be thinking, you know, you, you try and talk to that person, you try and tell them that they've got this problem, but they just don't see it. When we see problems in our life, we'll try to cry out to people for help. We'll go to the doctor, we'll go to our friends, we'll go to people we trust. Hey, we might even go to God himself. Whether we believe in God or not, we might cry out to God, God, if you're a good God, if you love us, surely you will fix my problem. Surely you can see the suffering that I'm experiencing and you will do something about it. But what if there was still a deeper problem still? There was a problem that perhaps none of us could ever see unless God shed light on it. And what if God in his mercy is like, actually, I want to deal with that problem before I deal with the problem that you can see and I can see as well. In fact, what if the problem that he can see that perhaps none of us can see is where all of our problems in life stem from? And it's why we are crying out to God in the first place. That is the story of the paralyzed man that we just read just before. It's a story about a man who has a problem. He can't walk. And so he goes to Jesus because he hears this Jesus can heal him of his problem. He can fix the problem. But when he comes and he meets Jesus, he leaves with a lot more than what he bargained for and a solution to a much deeper problem that he wasn't aware of to begin with. And perhaps this morning you too will leave today with a lot more than what you bargained for and a solution to a problem that you didn't realize you had. We pick up the story in Mark 2. Jesus, a few days later, he came to Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. He has been on this ministry trip. He's been going around the whole area preaching about the good news that he has come, healing people, giving sight to the blind, the lame are walking. He's doing incredible things and he's getting very popular as you would if you could do incredible things. And so everyone wants to know who is this Jesus guy? What is he doing? How is he so able to do these things and he's saying amazing things and they've heard he has come home so everyone in Capernaum has come to his house thinking we've got to see this Jesus guy we've got to see what he is saying and what he is doing because he's doing incredible things and a bunch of friends of a paralyzed man also hear about this and so we read that some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. There's a massive crowd outside his door. People were listening to him preach. And so these four men, they could not get in to see Jesus. They had heard that Jesus could heal their friend who had paralysis of these paralysis. But as they came to see Jesus, the whole, the whole place was full and they couldn't get in. 
But they were so desperate for their friend and so concerned for him and so sure that if he had just met Jesus, he would be healed of his paralysis. And so what did they do? We read that since they could not get him to Jesus, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know how you would feel if someone came to your house and decided to climb onto your roof and then dig through your roof to your living room just so they can get to you. I mean, that's pretty frustrating. I'd be like, what are you doing? Can you please stop? Can you please stop what you're doing right now? These guys, that's what they were doing. They were so keen, so you know, desperate to see their friend healed that they would do anything, even cut through Jesus' own living roof, living room roof, just so he could lower him down and be healed. And sure enough, he gets lowered down. He comes into the presence right before Jesus' feet, into the presence of the one who can heal him, the one who can provide a fix to his problem. And then Jesus addresses him very gently, Son, can you imagine what this guy is probably thinking and feeling at the moment? He's like, yes, I'm going to be healed. Yes, I'm going to walk and run again. Yes, this is going to be so good. He's probably laying there just waiting for it. He's like, Jesus is like, son, he's like, come on. I'm going to run again. I'm going to walk again. My legs will work again. So he's just lying there just waiting to be healed. And Jesus is like, son, your sins are forgiven. What? Sorry, Jesus. I'm not sure if you can see the problem here. My legs don't work. That's the problem, Jesus. My legs do not work. What are you doing? What do you mean the forgiveness of sins? Why are you trying to forgive me? I've come here to tell me to go and walk. I've come here so you can heal me, Jesus. What are you doing? If I wanted the forgiveness of sins, I would have gone to the temple. I would have found a priest, and on God's behalf, he would have forgiven me. But I can't even get to the temple because I'm paralyzed. I've come here because you can heal me. What? Why are you telling me that my sins are forgiven? That's not the problem here. Can you imagine his friends? They're on the roof. They're looking down. Can you hear what he's saying? I think he says something about the forgiveness of sins. So you're telling me, you're telling me, we traveled all the way to Capernaum. We came to see this Jesus guy to heal our friend. We actually broke into his roof. We've done a lot of damage here too, by what I can see. And all we're going to get is that this guy is going to be forgiven, but still can't walk. How am I frustrated they would have been? How devastated this person and their friends would have been because they didn't get what they hoped for, the solution to the problem that they could see. But Jesus saw a much more significant problem. He saw a much deeper problem, one from which that this guy's paralysis stems from. And that problem was sin. And the solution was forgiveness. If you ever have cried out to God before, God, fix me of my problem, my sickness, my disease. Fix me of my suffering and my loneliness. God, help me of this condition. And he hasn't answered it might be because that God sees a much more significant problem that he wants to deal in your life. One from which all those problems that you might face in your life stem from. That's what he saw in this paralyzed man. That problem was sin. Now what exactly is sin? Now it's not really a word that we use much in today's culture. 
You know, if we talk about sin, it's, it's often seen as a very harmful way to talk about wrongdoing. We like the idea of mistakes. People make mistakes. People don't sin. Sin is reserved for bad people. Only bad people doing bad things. That's what sin is. But otherwise, normal people who aren't bad, they just make mistakes. But the Bible's definition of sin is much more complex than that and much deeper than that. When the Bible talks about sin, it is always in relation to God himself. We might do things to each other, but when the Bible talks about sin, it's always about our relationship to God. And so if God made us in relationship with him, to obey him, to worship him, if he created us to honor him and obey him, then sin represents all the ways in which we have decided not to live according to God's way. Sin represents the way in which we decide that we want to be master of our own life and not let God be the king and master of our life. And so when we sin, we might be hurting each other, but ultimately we're hurting God and sinning against him. We're breaking away from the relationship that he made us to be in. And I think this plays out in two dimensions. The first dimension is guilt. Sin means that we are guilty before God. If God is our king and our ruler and we said, no God, I'm going to serve myself and do whatever I want, then we are guilty of breaking that relationship with God. And that's why we need forgiveness from our sins. But there's also a second dimension as well. You see, when we think we have broken that relationship with God, we think we've become our own master. We think we can live the way we want to live. But the reality is we don't actually become our own master. We become a servant or a slave to another master. We disobey God and we begin serving the master called sin. You see, sin is not just simply this abstract concept of wrongdoing in the Bible against God. Sin is described as this power this foreign, powerful force that enslaves. It's a slave driver or a tyrant and wants to lead us away from God. And not towards life, but towards death itself. And the way it gets us gripped in its bind is by promising life and promising that our own way will work if we follow its advice. But the result is that we're left away. We're pulled away from God and therefore pulled away from the source of life and hope itself. In the very beginning, God made the garden and he put his people there, Adam and Eve. And he said to them both, don't eat from this one particular tree. But then one day, Eve was tempted by this serpent that spoke. This serpent was the personification of sin itself. And the serpent asked Eve, Has, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent was cunning. He was trying to deceive Eve really quickly and early on, twisting God's words. And then Eve said, no, 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 just from this one particular tree in the garden. And the serpent said, no, no. God knows that if you eat from that tree, you will become like him. Let me tell you, that's what you want. And then Eve gave in to that serpent's temptation. She began to serve sin as her master. And Adam followed suit and then so did our whole world. And it led towards this 
It didn't lead to life and hope, but it led towards death and decay. And we see the evidence of that throughout our whole world. We see the evidence of sin and its grip on our world as we have governments that are corrupt. We have corporations that are greedy. Our environment is suffering. We have constant war and violence. Even in our own personal life, we suffer. Even in the life of this paralyzed man. He was feeling the effects of sin in his own life. And because we're in this bind, we can't save ourselves from it. We're kind of co-opted towards serving this master, rebelling against God, being separated from him forever. And the result is death. That's the problem that Jesus sees here. Sin is slowly destroying us all and taking us away from God. And the only way to fix this problem is if God himself would choose to forgive us of our sin and restore that relationship. And that's what Jesus chooses to do right here. But the question is, is does Jesus have the authority and the power to do so? Does he have the mean? I mean, this guy has just revealed himself as a wandering preacher and a healer. Who is he to forgive sins? And there are these people in that story, in that same room. These people are the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the religious elite, the ones you go to to know about God back then. And they are hearing Jesus speak to this paralyzed man. And, he's saying, and they're thinking, how does, is he really forgiving them? Is he really forgiving that man? Only God can forgive sins. Who is this guy to forgive sins? Is he really claiming to be God at this moment? And Jesus, showing his power, knowing what they're thinking, knowing what they're going to say to each other, speaks to them straight away and says, look, which is easier? For me to say to this person, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, take up your mat and walk? Which is easier? Telling someone their sins are forgiven is definitely easier because yeah, you don't have to prove it. You can tell someone your sins are forgiven and there's no proof as to whether or not that is true. They have to base it on your own word. But if I say to someone who's paralyzed, stand up, pick up your mat and walk home, well, the proof is in the pudding. If they don't get up, I have no power. But if they do get up, it shows that I can do the harder thing. And if I can do the harder thing, then I can do the easier thing as well. And that is to forgive sins. And so Jesus says to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And in full view of everyone, he got up, he took his mat, and he went home. He went home that day, not only knowing that he could walk again, but knowing that he was forgiven. You see, he went home that day recognizing he didn't just come to the presence of anyone, a miracle worker, a wandering preacher. He came to the very presence of God himself in a humble living room in a backwater town called Capernaum. This story is like a microcosm of what Jesus has come to do for all of us. Jesus has come to forgive us of our most deepest problems. And we might come to God with a particular problem in our life that we can see, but he sees a much more significant problem that he wants to deal with first. You might be thinking, no, 
I'm struggling to pay my mortgage repayments. I'm struggling to put food on the table. I'm struggling with this disease after disease I keep getting. I'm struggling with loneliness. Don't tell me my problem is with sin. And Jesus would say to you, I get that. I see that. I see all those problems. They exist because sin exists. And that's what I've come to deal with. You might be thinking to yourself, well, I have not, my life's good, actually. I've got no problems. My life is fine. And Jesus would say to you, look, you might think sin is an imaginary problem, but the reality is this paralyzed man, he's an external sign of what we all have. We are all bound and gripped by this power of sin, and we can do nothing about it unless we let Jesus save us. That's what he's come to do, and that's the offer that he has for each one of us this morning. We've come into his presence, and his offer is to deal with our most significant problem, the problem of sin. And that we would leave here more than what we have bargained for. That's his gift to you and me. And the greatest thing about this story I love is that this paralyzed man who would have been rejected, outcasted by the temple people, he meets God in a humble living room. We are in the presence of God this morning, but when you leave here, you can go into the presence of God in your car, in the supermarket, in the school, shopping center, wherever it might be, at work. You can find God anywhere, at any moment. You can, so to speak, break through his roof in prayer. Fall into his presence and I guarantee you'll find more than what you bargained for. He has come to deal with your most significant problem, the one from which all problems stem. And the good news is that Jesus, as he forgives us of our sin, we look forward to the day in which he will come back and he will make all things new. He will take away all these problems that we face in our life because he's dealt with the most significant one already through his death on the cross. As we walk away with the forgiveness of sins we, and the hope in our heart, we walk away also with the love of God as well. As this man walked out of that room, he walked out knowing God's love for him and hope for him in his life. Even though he would live and then die again, he lived knowing the great hope he had in Jesus and that God had forgiven him because God had dealt with an eternal problem, the problem of sin. And that problem can be dealt with you today if you wish so as well. I'm going to pray for us right now and pray that God would speak to us and God would help us to understand that we would see this much more significant problem and know that Jesus can fix it. And I want to encourage you, if you want to talk to me afterwards or clip afterwards about this, you, may, you can, please do so. Don't leave here today without having a conversation about this particular issue if it's come to your heart and if you can see it as a problem. Don't leave here today without knowing that God loves you and God has come to fix this particular problem for all eternity. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much 